Yeah, because we were just talking about it yesterday. Yes, we were. Because me and Brie love community right now. Yes. We're watching that show. And Abed, I don't know the actor's real name. That's terrible. You can look it up. Is a voice of a character on the new DuckTales. Yes, he is. I'm sorry, listeners. I'm eating chips. Have you seen the interview with him and Larry King? No, but tell everybody that anecdote because it's funny. That's what me and Bree were talking about that yesterday while you were talking about community. After you were talking about community. He, um... The actor who plays Abed, uh, in an interview with Larry King, and Larry King asks him a question about um, what his like simple luxuries are, and he's la- in his life, and he says socks. <laughs> like he likes really good socks, and Larry King's like that's not a luxury, and he's like okay, I like I don't remember what the second thing is, coffee maybe like a good cup yeah. of coffee, and Larry King's like that also is not a luxury. And the actor says, okay, well, Larry, what is a luxury? Tell me what a luxury is. And um, Larry King's like, a private jet. And the actor says, Larry, I'm on DuckTales. As if to say, like, I don't, I'm not paying for private jets, Larry. We're living different lives. Yeah. um, It's Danny Pudi. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but that's him. Danny. That's funny. Um. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Maybe we can it. find a live clip of that eventually. Uh, Taylor, how was your week? Mm, last week? Yeah. Um, it was good while the sun was out, and then it was bad when it was not. I, in Texas, I don't like rain. I usually like rain. I don't like it here. Yeah. It's because my yard gets muddy. Oh, yeah. Not the front yard, but the backyard. That's stressful. Yeah, and then the kids trump it in the house. That is... I, my dogs are always bringing mud in the house. And all of a sudden I realized I'm a adult person because I'm like, dogs wipe your feet. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I want them to, I need to get a mat for them to wipe their little feet on back there. Well, I'm thankful for the rain. Yeah, I know it's good for us, you know. Yeah, and it's growing my plants for free. Yeah, that's nice of it. Yeah. Well, I have a few things for us to talk about. Okay. Do you have anything? Um, I don't think so. Well, you said you wanted to return to the Sam Seaborn conversation. I do, yes. So we'll do that later. I do. I want to start here. So I wanted to, in our ever-evolving understanding of how to handle contentious moments of our history, okay. I did see that Disney uh-huh. um, released the Muppet Show on its Disney Plus streaming thing. Uh-huh. And they offered this qualification at the beginning, like some moments are basically acknowledging the racism and the whateverisms of the Muppet Show. Yeah, because you know it was made in the seventies and yeah. we've evolved. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Like, is that make it okay? Like, is that a way to move forward? And because I guess then I read they've done stuff like they do this now with Dumbo before you start watching. Oh yeah, which is pretty bad. Because, yeah, Dumbo has some. And I think there's a couple others where they do this. Yes. I, I, I remember when Disney Plus first started streaming like a year and a half ago, they had released a lot of the cartoons from like the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And um, people were like, uh, <laughs> this is very bad. And so I think they started doing um, qualifications at the front. My question though, is that enough? 
What a, I mean, what a great question. I don't think I get to answer that question. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? We don't get as, to as like a white person. Um, so that would be interesting. I do. Um, I do think there are some people for whom it's like, yeah, I, I need an upfront and then I can get my mind ready or something like that. Yeah. Um, but also, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think I get to make that call. So, um, so yeah. They also did a qualification. <laughs> I This was the thing I thought, maybe we could talk about this, but then I don't think... You don't watch The Bachelor. And no, no, no. Watch The Bachelor. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard kind of the drama a little bit. Really? Yeah. Um, so yeah. a picture of the the Bachelorette that was picked by The Bachelor. Well, um, a picture of well, actually multiple pictures of but I'm, one of the. But it's contestants. the one who made the finalist and was selected, right? Well, we don't know that because oh, that so hasn't an, aired yet. But, um, but that's but what. But people happened. have many speculations that she was. Originally, the winner of the show. Okay. That they might not be together anymore. Um, but yes, it was multiple pictures of her. Like antebellum pictures or something? She did go to an antebellum party a couple years ago. Is for she Ole Miss? Sorority. Uh, I don't think so. She's from Georgia. Okay. Um, and she... <laughs> that's your foot. And I did not know what that was. And I thought there was something, an animal in your home. Um, she... Yes, and also, but before the Annabelle party, that was sort of like sort of nail in the coffin type stuff. There were a lot of pictures of her um, or pictures she liked of other people with like you know a Confederate flag in the background or um, like them dressing up in Halloween costumes that were like cultural appropriation and stuff like that. Um, so people already were on the lookout, and then this Annabelle party was kind of not you know the, like i said the final straw and then what happened is um rachel Lindsay, who was a former bachelorette um, and now is sort of a media person she does a lot of different things works for several podcasts um, but she also works for e i think and she did an interview with chris harrison who is the host of the show mm, i heard about those too and she said she asked him a question about this contestant, Rachel Kirknell, and she was like, "What do you, what do you think about all this stuff?" And he just went on a rant about how she's a really sweet, really great girl. People are targeting her, trying to yada yada yada, and <clears throat> it was pretty racist. The rant was, mm. and Rachel actually ended up getting a lot of heat for it, um, even though all she did was ask a question. And, um, anyways, all that to say, Chris Harrison took some time away from, is taking some time away from the show, and, but he did appear on Wheel of Fortune recently, and they posted a disclaimer okay. at the top of the show, like, we know, really? yeah, we know that Chris Harrison is, I haven't seen it actually, but it's like, you know. There's this extra thing going on with Chris Harrison. We taped this a while ago. That's why we're airing it. I will say, over the years in sermons, mm -hmm. sometimes simply, I've learned, simply acknowledging something goes a long way. Yeah. Like, you don't even have to necessarily have a strong opinion. You just have to name the thing in the room. Be like, this is the true thing that's happening. And sometimes you have to unpack it. But yeah. it, I think acknowledging is better than that. 
Yeah. Well, Taylor, um, yeah. this wasn't on the agenda, but can I tell you about The Bachelor? <laughs> you can. I think it's bad for America. You do? Yeah, and I have several reasons. One of them is this. Mm-hmm. Okay, I watched Dancing with the Stars. Sure. And um, there have been two bachelorettes or whatever they're called on Eric, the show. Yes. And they've won. And I watched the last season, and the woman who won was clearly, very, very, very clearly not the best dancer. Kayla Bristow? Yes. Wow. Um, and Nev Campbell got ripped. No, not Nev Campbell. Nev Shulman got ripped off. Oh, As did the like, guy from Catfish? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He was the clear best dancer. Wow. And there was like two. She There were four final contestants, and she won. She was the fourth best dancer. People, but it's because of the, the Bachelor Army. Yeah. Bachelor Nation is what they're called. Well, it's terrible. And you think they're ruining America because they're ruining Dancing with the well, Stars? Well, I, I just think the show is terrible, and it feeds into our ideas about where relationships are that are already dysfunctional. Uh, you can't meet somebody in a contest for 20 days and fall in love and that be any kind of meaningful anything. People do that. Okay, so um, like the fireman from season one and Krista or whatever name, uh-huh. that's the only successful story I've ever heard. Krista? Yeah. Um, no, uh, there's not very many, to be fair. But there are like four or five. Do you think The Bachelor is good for America? What a great question. Good for America? Yes. No. That okay, feels like you. an easy no. Thank you. But do I think it's bad for America? I don't know. I watch it. I'm with you, actually. I know I should hate it, and yet here I am. Do you know what I mean? Okay, thank you for acknowledging that. Okay. That's the win I needed today. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Hey, can I tell you something? Yeah. Okay, as preachers, and I've talked to other preachers, and you preach, so you may have Sometimes. opinions. You, you learn very early on that there are some sermons you write you think are just great. And you don't get any feedback. And there are some sermons you write that you think, oh, gosh, today's a... It's a stinker. They didn't get their money's worth. And then it's like you get all kinds of good feedback. Yeah. Yesterday I thought I had a good sermon. Meh. Nothing. I liked yesterday. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Okay, thanks. That wasn't Um, me fishing. No, I know. I know. You're much more subtle. You would have done it much more subtle. Yeah. (laughs) If you were fishing. Um... <clears throat> yeah, I do know. Actually, well, one interesting thing, I was talking to my friend who is a, she, she's a therapist. She's got a PhD. She's very fancy, and she was talking about. Um, well, I think I was actually talking about sermons and how sometimes I'll be, I'll preach a sermon, and then afterwards someone will come and be like, "Thank you, that was so beautiful. That was so great." When you said da 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 da. And then I'm like, I did not say that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and she was saying that that happens in therapy all the time. Like well, someone will come back and be like, when you said this, I just, this week I went out and, and she'll be like, oh, I did not tell you to do that. But you can't like, say right. that. You know well, I mean? the other one I get to, to is, that is what I said, but that is not what I meant. Yeah. But that thing meant something to you, so yeah. that's teach their own. Yeah. That's true. Um. Isn't that crazy though? I do feel like that's just part of it. Part of it that you have to like accept is like sometimes you're gonna say things and someone's gonna hear it. A certain it's gonna hit them a certain way and you're gonna be like, I did not at all mean to imply <laughs> that in any capacity. Yeah, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's, it's so different from what you meant. Yeah, and then it just feels it feels futile. 
No. I take it the opposite. No, I'm with you, though. I mean, I do. It does sometimes feel futile. But also, I think ultimately what it is is like, I can't know. I'm a vessel. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, like, the things I'm saying are meaningful to people in certain ways that maybe not even I could. I'm just fascinating. You're tying your hair in knots. Yeah, in one knot. Do you ever worry it's going to get tangled because it's in a knot now? Or is it easy to untangle? No, yeah, it's easy. You just saw me take it out. I know. Okay. That's crazy. You're doing that. Why? You're like an artist with your hair. That's true. That's crazy. You can do that. Um, well, it's very long. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't realize this was going to be such a distraction. That's okay. Um, so, what were we talking about before my hair? Um, I don't remember. Oh, people listening. People oh, listening yeah, to certain vessel. Yeah. So I say something, and if it's meaningful for them, it's meaningful for them. Even if it's different than what I meant, you know? Um, I have some social media updates for you. You do? Yeah. I um, I got some good tweets this week that got retweeted, and I got I got some fodder. You did? Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So That's you remember so my rule, multiply it by 1,000? I had one that was yes. like 39,000 likes. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, so 39. Yep. Okay. And another like 33,000 likes and wow. you know, a few two, 3,000 likes. That people liked them. Yeah. I think you got to start there before you get to the big numbers. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I do too. But I am on the rise. And then here's what happened for me on TikToks. Okay. So there was a TikTok thing or a internet <laughs> thing that came. It's like, hey, put your finger in the middle of this picture and you'll see that the colors are actually the same. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I made a TikTok video. I'm like, this is a lie. Look. And I just recorded me putting my finger up. And then I cut out a piece of paper and put it over it so the backgrounds are blotted out. I'm like, look, still different colors. And I said, somebody's smoking pot. Most all-time viewed video. Most likes. Really? Yeah. And so I was very frustrated because I've made like two or three TikTok videos where I really put effort in. Nothing. Those are my lowest. Yeah. Then I do some where it's like, um, this is like throwaway material. You know what? Um, I think it's a thing threes don't always get. What? I think sometimes they come across a little try hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I do understand that. I don't necessarily perceive myself when I'm doing it. Of course not. But I do also think that the material is stupid. No. That that is successful. Yeah. And also that my feed, what they show me, is like highly curated, well done videos. So it makes you think, oh, that's how you become a winner. Sure, but there's plenty of, but maybe that's because it seems like you're into very curated, like highly curated, very well done videos. Yeah. And that's what they're giving that's you. That's what Tara Terragrosa has told me. Oh, really? She said wow. the algorithm knows me, so. I feel very smart now because I knew something Taylor Terragrosa knew. Um, and so I think that, well, but that's the thing about threes. And it's also the thing that makes them seem like ones sometimes or ones seem like threes sometimes. Is you're like, this is what I like. Ah. But that's not what everyone likes. I do feel like a one a lot lately. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of one energy in me. About fairness, like, rightness. Yeah. Well that's those are good <laughs> those are good things. Well, my fairness meter those arbitrary, right? Yeah. Sure. I mean all of ours is. We should work not to make it so, but um but yeah. So I think you you like watching things that are like very well done, but that doesn't mean that's what the majority of the public likes. Yeah. 
I think the Gen Zer is just like you with a camera in front of you, catching random mundane moments. They think that's funny. Yeah, probably that's part of it. Taylor. Yeah. So I had a conversation with Nick Deer this week. Oh my gosh. And um, here's what I was I was saying. He asked about my family very kindly. And so I gave him a report and I said, Nick, I, they're at a stage now where they're grown fast. So I'm trying to find things to connect with them intentionally. So my son Roy got a, a book series for Christmas called Fable Haven. Mm-hmm. And as an act of solidarity, I'm reading it because he read the whole thing in like a week. It's like six books. Wow. And um, he said to me he liked them better than Harry Potter. So that was kind of a challenge for me. Roy, well, I'm, yeah, I mentioned this to Nick Deer. Nick Deer tells me that um, he thinks the data is showing that um, Harry Potter is uh, going to kind of go with the millennials in popularity. Like, they're the ones that keep propping up its popularity, and it's not really reaching the younger kids like we thought it would. It's not going to have the staying power. Sure. So, uh, point of conflict here. What do you think? Well, I think data can lie to us. Uh, <laughs> And I think that that's maybe what somebody said about the Chronicles of Narnia at some point in time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but and then also we... certainly at some point in time, they were like, the Hunger Games is the same as Harry Potter mm. um, or Twilight or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, I actually remember sort of because the, the last Twilight books were coming out the same time as the last Harry Potter books. Yeah. And people were like, it's the same. Like, you can like Twilight or Harry Potter. And now it's like looking back on it. It's like. No. Oh, yeah. Harry Potter is a richer story, a richer text than yeah. um, Twilight. So, but I I do hear what he's saying. But, well, I think, but last night I was with the fifth and sixth graders, and they've all read all of Harry Potter, and they all really like it. Okay, that's a weekly thing you're doing with them? Uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. And that, is that on the internet? Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. What did you Any think? good stories? What did you think Well, was? we hosted the middle school youth group here yesterday. Oh, yeah. So they're well, in masks. seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, they're in masks in the backyard. Yeah, um, but they are every other week. Oh yeah, well, but we're online. Yeah, so we're doing every week. Any good stuff like you can make a uh, dinosaur <laughs> out of a mosquito or anything like that? Um, I don't think we had anything quite as good as that. Um, you got any good Lily Kate stories? Lily Kate is the best. Um, Lily Kate is well. Lily, one of my favorite things Lily Kate has done is. Um, the very first moment she signed into the Zoom last week, she was like, I can't be here, not next week, but the week after that. I'm not going to be here. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thanks, Lily Kate. And then she said it multiple times last week and multiple times this week. And so I she won't like, be there next week. She will not be there next week. Shoot. And so I said, have fun, Lily Kate. I think they're going on a family trip. And um, just like I think to the beach, socially distanced, you know. And... So that is, I just think she's so funny. And her and Ruby Nelson are so funny. And then Fallon, it was the same people as we before. Fallon Sandoval and oh, yeah. I guess I shouldn't say people's names. Um, yeah, I think we're probably violating things. First names. Anyways. And um, so it's just been really sweet. They're a really good crew. And they have great insights. Fallon Sandoval, or Fallon, whoever <laughs> she is. What grade is she in now? Six, I think. Gosh, I saw her picture talk about somebody who morphed in quarantine. We didn't see him for a while. Yeah. Told Emily that. and um, Well, and you know who, I mean, it's everybody though. I get mad. I've tweeted multiple times about how mad it makes me that like, Josh, they're like whole babies that are not babies anymore that I've yeah. never met. And mm-hmm. they will not be in the baby room. They'll be in. Yeah, the, um, the family that has the baby's name Brinley and 
her brother. <laughs> the family, yes. Um, they were looking for a place to go in the winter storm. Oh, yeah. And I said they could come here, and I was hoping they would just because I hadn't met the baby. To see them. And I wanted to see the baby. Yes. And they are, like, I think about the videos they did with Brindley for the, like, Christmas thing and yeah. how old she was, and it's just so crazy. Yeah, the times are going. They're changing, as Bob Dylan would say. I'm going to have to do a lot of, like, updating of Breeze. Well, I um, will say this. I would still buy stock in Harry Potter. I think it's going to be around. I just don't want to support J.K. Rowling in any capacity, but well, the books I already own, I'm still going to read. There you go. Okay. Um, that's all I got. So do you want to do Rob Lowe now, or do you want to do something well, else? Should we do Ted Lasso? Oh, yeah. Ted Lasso. So Thank I you. I finished watching Ted Lasso. Josh watched it last fall. Mm-hmm. I think Toph has said he's on a second watch of it, which I don't blame him for at all. <laughs> so um, what was your favorite part, Josh? My favorite... Or why did you like it so much? Well, it's interesting that the show is so popular because... Um, and Jason Sudeikis won a Golden Globe last night, by the way. Yeah. For his portrayal. Beat out um, Shit's Creek guy. What's his name? Daniel Levy or Eugene? Uh, Eugene Levy. Wow. Uh, there's a temptation for me to try and do an impression right now. But, oh, okay, okay. Uh, anyways, I'll bypass it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think what is amazing to me about the show is we've become so cynical as a people mm-hmm. that I'm surprised that a show with a character that good and that pure was popular, as popular as it is. Um, but you just love Ted Lasso. Yeah. And maybe it's because his storyline earmuffs, if you haven't watched, yeah. includes some real heartbreak. So that makes him seem like us. But my favorite scene I told you is when... Um, I can't remember her name. The Rebecca. owner, Rebecca, tells him she betrayed him, and he just stands up and says, "I forgive you." Yeah, it was just very powerful to me. It was. And uh, what's her name? The 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 one that ends up with Roy in the end of the show. What's her name? Keely. She for some reason she must be a seven, right? Yeah. She just seems like she's so much fun to be around. Yeah. You want to be her friend. Yeah. And also Nate, so lovable. Nate the Great. Nate the Great. What a guy. Yeah. So lovable. and But then also that scene where um, Ted Lasso's like, you're going to read them this like speech you wrote. Mm-hmm. And instead of being like, you're so great, he's like trash talking them all. Yeah. Like he's like, I don't remember what all he says, but it's so funny. Yeah. And it gets them like hyped, which is like interesting. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, it. The, well, I think especially as a teacher, it's like, I mean, being mean is obviously never the thing I was setting out to do. But not every kid is it like pure encouragement that that makes them like work hard. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody has different things that gets them hyped up or makes them have confidence in themselves, and you have to kind of figure that out. Yeah, he like really makes you believe Ted Lasso in that coach figure that I think is meaningful for so many people, but I didn't necessarily have the the like. His, like, assistant coach or whatever? No, just Ted Lasso. Oh, okay. Like, that coaches really can transform a culture like that. Yeah. So. Also, I really liked Sam, um, who's the guy who has the birthday towards the beginning. Um, and yeah. Who, and who... Yeah. There was a really funny moment when he asks... He's like, thank you so much, coach. But then he asks if he can give the, like, soldier back, the American soldier yeah. back. 
He's like, I have a different <laughs> uh, relationship with uh, the American military. And they both, like, at the same time, they're like, because of imperialism. Yes. Yeah. And I, I thought it was so funny. Um, also, we get a we get a use of the feminine divine. Yeah, I, I saw you tweet about that. Love very much. Um, and I just which that made me wonder. Like I just I feel like TV is not a place that would have any kind of meaningful theological interaction. Yeah, it makes me wonder who wrote that line. Yeah, because there was some intent there. Yeah, or if it was just kind of throw away, like eh, let's just prod them a little more. You know what I mean? This will be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was so great. Okay, let me ask you. As a married person, I feel like you might have a different insight into this than I do. Uh, yeah, but also spoilers, so maybe. Well, a lot of this has been spoiling. Yeah. It's only eight episodes, so we've given you half of them already. Yeah, so but maybe turn it down. This is a big plot point, though. Okay. So everything with um, his wife. Uh-huh. And, I mean, they still seem to have an amicable relationship at the end. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, it seemed to me that she kind of was like, it just doesn't feel the same. And so I think we should get divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that. Okay. That, I'm not, obviously I'm not a married person, but that's like not my understanding of what marriage is. Which is probably part of the reason I'm not a married person. Um, so I just wondered what your take on that. Well, is it that the that? commitment seems flimsy to you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have learned to tread carefully in how I speak about marriage because it sure. is such a deep point of pain for people. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I and you obviously would do the same thing. But I have to start with I don't know what it's like to have been these two people. Um, my read, well, having said that, I mean, I think our notion of covenant in modern American marriage has kind of been lost. Yeah. And that's a problem that we saw in the, the, um, same sex marriage conversation nationally too, was what is the church's role in this and what is the state's role in this? Right. Mm-hmm. And who's informing our vision of what marriage is. Uh-huh. So, um, I think though, with my traditional Christian notion of covenant, um, it is this thing that invites us to wear something very uncomfortable through thick and thin, but I've also had to understand, but not through abuse. Sorry, I'm offering all these qualifiers. That wasn't about the question you asked. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I do think marriages are kind of the perspective on a marriage in America today is sort of flimsy. Yeah. But this is what I also think. I think her comment is reflective of a deeper abiding pain that they've both been feeling for a long time and that it was emblematic of all of that. Yeah. I don't know. He does not, I don't read that in him. I don't, he does not. I mean, he seems to be working hard to make it work. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm not a married person and I do think some of like this storyline is part of why I am not a married person because well, it seems very you hard. You still get to have an opinion, though. Yeah, sure. But I I mean, and so, yes, ultimately, of course, I would admit that, like, I don't know what that is like. But, and you know, like you said. I think, too, just literarily, she was I, she was almost like a character off screen. 
in that most of the time she was or like somebody being addressed off stage they clearly didn't want that to be her to be a major factor in the show uh-huh. they just wanted that relational dynamic present for him to tell his story because she was what in three episodes and just briefly yeah yeah i do just think it's like he's such a great guy and i think there are lots of things that can only be explained as like Lots of reasons people get divorced that are kind of like, well, we just changed and we're very different. But it's like, there aren't many guys as good as Ted Lasso. Do you know what I mm-hmm. mean? And so it seems, I don't know. Here's a question for you. And I think I have a follow-up observation about this. And maybe okay. you'll feel differently that uh, some people could get excited about. What do you think his number is? You know... Maybe like a nine. Um, what do you think? Well, I think that it's hard to tell. Yeah. And I think it's because, I mean, granted, he's a fictional character. He's so incredibly healthy. Yes. And I think that's what happens when you're a healthy person. Mm-hmm. Is And so I think for all the people who hate the Enneagram, that maybe could be something that they would appreciate that both in extreme stress or unhealth and extreme health or when you're doing really good, it is hard to tell what you are, and you can't be put in a box. I feel like in extreme unhealth, you can definitely tell what a person. is. Well, I is. think you can definitely see them behaving in the type of a certain number, but it's probably, if you know your Enneagram enough well to do stance, yeah. um, or what's the one where you move um, arrows or whatever, then you could probably, but yeah. th- my point is, in that condition, they're not acting out of themselves either. Yeah. Like they're inauthentic. Yeah. So, um, and it's hard to tell who they are. But maybe, I don't, anyways, I just thought it is hard to tell because he seems so healthy. And that's a great thing. Yeah. Like. I think so because you can see a bunch of, obviously, you can see a bunch of different. Yeah. I thought he was a seven at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then I thought he was probably like a three. And then I thought he was probably a two. And then he definitely has nine energy. Me, I see very little three. Well, just like the schmarmy, you know, always oh, polished. I see, like yeah. offering the biscuits to what's her name every uh, morning, yeah, yeah, baking yeah. the biscuits, high achiever, run an organization. Yeah. That part. I see that. Yeah. So, well. Except he went somewhere where he like knew he was going to lose. That's not very three. No. But I see that. Unless in that knowing losing, you can promote yourself in a different way. That's so true. Uh, yeah, but I think the locker room culture he created, and he's like very off, hands off as a coach, you know? Yeah. So, I see some nine. Definitely some seven, obviously. So. Well, I'm glad you watched it. It is a great show. Kareem will be really happy. That's his favorite show, maybe um, of all time. He loves Ted Lasso. It's the best show. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, I do think it's up there with Shit's Creek. Yeah, like, I mean... As, like, a show that is, like... Needs a couple more seasons, but for right. sure. I mean, better season one than Shit's Creek, for sure. That's true. But I think Shit's Creek was doing something in season one. Yeah, they were laying some foundation. Yeah, had to be done. Okay. Um, do you want to do talk about Sam Seaborn again? Yes. Okay, friends. So I, I approached Josh this week and told him <laughs> that I didn't think I was a very good conversation partner with the Sam Seaborn um, monologue that we talked about last week, which is not to say that I have to agree with Josh, just that I don't feel like I was really listening 
And I don't think I was really present to the moment because I don't know. I think there was something going on, but I don't know what it was in my head. And um, so I asked if we can take another swing at it. So do you want me to play the clip again? Yeah, I think so. Okay, and just so listeners know, it's me and Lindsay interacting for the half second at the beginning. So if you hear a voice, that sounds distracting. Okay, but before you do, so what is your, what was, why did you bring this clip? I loved it because I felt like Sam's position here is emblematic of a voice I've been trying to articulate in a number of our conversations about unity and a little bit in the... Just in that he kind of is like, we have things in common with these people. Well, that and then like... Ideologically, I agree with you, but we have to work with the other side, and this is why. Okay, okay. All Play right. Again. Yeah. That's Lindsay. I'm sorry. That's me. It's there usually is when she's in high school. Sam. It's not the writing. Come on, Henry. Faster private jets and swimming pools. We can take out the heavy bats now. And do what with them? The line works. So does how about them cowboys when you're playing a club in Dallas, but the line isn't going to change the mind of anyone who doesn't already agree with us. Sam, are you in favor of tax cuts for the wealthy? I am not. I am in favor of tax cuts for those for whom it will do the most good, and that's a tough enough battle. And it looks like all of a sudden we've got a fair fight, but I'm not talking about policy. I'm talking about rhetoric, and the men you work for need to dial it down to five. Henry, last fall, every time your boss got on the stump and said, it's time for the rich to pay their fair share, I hid under a couch and changed my name. I left Gage Whitney making 400000 a year, which means I paid 27 times the national average in income tax. I paid my fair share, and the fair share of 26 other people. And I'm happy to, because that's the only way it's going to work. And it's in my best interest that everybody be able to go to schools and drive on roads. But I don't get 27 votes on election day. The fire department doesn't come to my house 27 times faster, and the water doesn't come out of my faucet 27 times hotter. The top 1% of wage earners of this country pay for 22% of this country. Let's not call them names while they're doing it, is all I'm saying. You're not using the line? No. Or anything like it? No. And I hope you'll make it clear to your people that this has nothing to do with diluting our position or cozying up to Republicans. Oh, why would they think that? So we probably should have offered context, but I think that you can still get it without it. So some Democratic speechwriters just got a political victory and want to hammer the tobacco companies with this line about CEOs... Uh, so faster private jet. Yeah, that's for that stuff. It's like, of course you can do this. You have money, and then Sam says, "No, let's not hammer them with the line." Even though we have the victory, and this is why. And then that was that conversation. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's most they're talking rhetoric, right? Like yeah. This and also, I think probably a thing you like about it is that he says like this isn't going to bring anybody new over to our side yeah right mm-hmm. and that's part of what we've been talking about also is like it's not compelling to people who disagree with each other when you are mean when you say something ridiculous or whatever um right that's part of what yeah no i certainly admire that part of that political posture okay um yeah, I do think there's a part of me that agrees. Like, there's no need to go out and be unreasonable. Um, but also, if that is what they're using the money for, and I don't know that it is. Do you know what I mean? I think my argument back would be like, that is what they're using the money for. Yeah, I think it's a metaphor of a lifestyle truth. Right. And then I also, I think... Um, 
I do think I gave voice to this last week. Um, I think part maybe part of my frustration last week and even more so this week is that like, um, you know, as we've spoken about, I voted for Joe Biden. I typically think of myself as a person who is uh, progressive in my, I guess, you know, theology and well, it's interesting how you define progressive and political sort of theory or whatever. And right now, um, you know, the Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and still, I don't feel like enough is getting done. And so, and some of that is because we're people, the people in power, are mostly aiming towards the middle. And it's like, I, that's not going to do anything. That's not going to fix anything or change anything. Do you know what I mean? I think I lost the metaphor at some point. Okay. So the current administration's reaching to the people in the middle? Uh-huh. Oh, like in the ideological middle. So Not the middle class. Oh, yeah. The ideological okay. middle. Okay. And so Sam Seaborn here also is kind of like, we should, just because we can doesn't mean we should like condemn these people. But, I mean, like tobacco CEOs... Yeah, we should. As they're like knowing, you know, especially at this time, they're like knowingly, and this is a long storyline in the mm -hmm. West Wing. Yeah. They are like knowingly harming people. Yeah, well, I think though that's a little different issue though than the tax thing, that they're harming people. That you're offering a product that's destructive to the lives should elicit a different kind of rhetoric than you're, you're making a lot of money off a product that's harmful. Because if, would you feel differently if the product was a good product? I mean... But yeah. Elon Musk, like, right, he's making electric cars, which, you know, the data is still out there, but presumably will be better for the global environment. Uh -huh. And he's also now the richest man in the world. Yeah, I do think there's a distinction there. Okay. But also his point, like this particular discussion isn't about getting them to stop produce tobacco. Sam's not negotiating on that. What he's are trying to get them to negotiate on is the specific rhetoric they use to talk about them. Um, for the purpose of a tax base, which every president needs. So you think that, like, because they're talking about tax cuts and not actually about the product? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is interesting. I didn't de detect this difference at all last week, so maybe no. that, that could be helpful. Um, I think any politician any human being who has a goal and this is a very three way to see this i guess yeah but if you if you want to get that done like you're going to do what you can within your moral convictions to get that done well um and so for example um this is a little bit off the beaten path but we talked about it so i posted uh my meme dump this week uh -huh. okay and um then there were three or four of them that were either about Ted Cruz or the Texas winter. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and then a friend of mine who I really respect, uh -huh. like an hour later, had posted something on a different social media platform about winter stuff being that funny. Uh, friend may not have seen my stuff. Well, I, I no friend saw my stuff. Um, okay. May not have posted it because of me. I Pretty strong evidence. Uh -huh. um, now, my thought is this. Okay. If friend um, had messaged me privately and said hey as somebody who cares about you i think the optics of this are bad you might want to consider pulling these i would have pulled them yeah uh, because it's my opportunity to then honor them in response right mm -hmm. yeah um i 
did not pull them when I saw their post because I got mad and my ego got in the way. And it's like, I'm going to post 10 of them now. And I think, okay, I'm immature. Okay. But, but that's, an, <laughs> I think a indicative human experience was like, if I'm going to use the galvanite or um, the polarizing rhetoric, I'm not going to get any closer to what I want, my end, ideological end, by saying this rhetoric, other than the few people who already agree with me are going to love the Jap. But if I reach out to them in relationship and find common ground, there's a chance that we can work towards something. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. I see that point. And I think you have made it a number of times, and I just think it's, for whatever reason, it's... Like, okay, I'll admit this. The, the rhetoric feels good in this example, but what do you think it accomplishes? Well, it might accomplish people who are sort of in the middle to make up their mind and believe that that tax cut is important. Because of the rhetoric. Yeah. Well, again, if it's a true thing, do you know what I mean? And they're like, um, I mean, I think to me it's like, and also at some point this is a thing. This is really, I think, the crux of the disagreement that we have sometimes also if it's true like okay so i saw a tweet last week that was like um coming forward about i feel like i always do this to you um but it was like coming forward about an abuser doesn't it's not you're not um ruining their reputation you are clarifying it do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so it's like saying a true thing um, is like always it's always going to be it's just going to make the picture fuller you know and so if this is a true thing um, and it helps people understand why a tax break would be better or good or whatever then I think it's fine but yeah. I also know that I'm not as good as convincing people like, I don't, I mean. Oh, I think the majority of our listeners agree with you on most everything. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't think so, but I think that, um, but I'm not, but still, I haven't, not, they, maybe they do agree with me, but not because I have convinced them so. It's because they already have brought that into the conversation we're having. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I'm not a convincer, I don't think, really. Like, I don't, I just don't see it that way at all. Which does sometimes mean I lose people. Also, I so can I offer one nuance? Yeah, sure. Because that's what we're doing. We're disagreeing, right? I think we are, yeah. Um, Which is fine. I yeah, feel much better no, about it this time. Yeah. So the abuser analogy is helpful. Uh -huh. This term for me is the difference. Yeah. There is a near universal, at least in confession, acceptance that the abu what the abuser is doing is bad. Okay? No. <laughs> your face there's it's not there's not i mean like that would be nice no but here's my true. point even even child abusers who child abuse are gonna say publicly child abuse is bad okay well but, sure we've accepted the moral standard culturally okay sure that's the thing we say as a culture. right we at least say it that's all i'm asking okay, for okay, you grant okay. is we at least say it we don't all morally agree about the billionaire thing or the private mm -hmm. jet thing. There are 70 million people who would be like, yeah, fine. Yeah, that's true. And so you, for me, it's like you, that's what you're up against is the accepted moral norms to begin with are such that it allows for people to play in an arena in which we don't agree on that. And you do have to 
through relationship over time, I think, win those people over. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I do think, yeah, I think it's just one of those things that we would approach differently. But I don't think that means that, like, Sam's response is, like, so it's an understanding of what people want. It's not necessarily, like, a moral. No, but. I don't. And, I mean, that's, you know, you you have the three by the Achilles heel right now. <laughs> right? Is right. Yeah, no. I, morals, that's a, I haven't even thought about that. I'm concerned about what's done. No, I do think, though, I Sam is fighting for a moral good in the process. Right? Like, he wants the well, tax cuts. He wants, right, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. But he just thinks that this is how you got to get it done. I think you know I am I'm um, I'm so positive I'm a two, but I just have enough Enneagram eight. In oh, me. I know, I, I know. I was thinking today this morning actually, I'm like you know when I knew you years ago when you were like helping with youth group and uh-huh. you were interning, like I'm like I had such a different perception. Image, yes, of who you were, and not that it was untrue then or now. So my question was, I was thinking, have you evolved? Do you think, or is it just that I know you better now? Well, I think, and I say, I've said this before, and I feel like you, I don't, I feel like, it's not like I feel like you question it, but I think you're like, I don't think you understand what I'm saying, but it's like, um, I get a lot that people are like, you're so nice. You're the nicest person. And I'm like, no, untrue. (laughs) Because I don't, I mean, like, I'm not mean. No. But it's like, um. You are confrontational. Yeah. I, I will ask the questions and I will say things and um and also it makes me laugh I thought of um I think it was at the Christmas party when Risa was like who cusses most on staff and everyone was like Taylor for sure Taylor and Risa was like oh my gosh I didn't think she cussed at all and she was like or I thought when she cussed it was like to make me feel better for cussing and it was like everyone was like nope mm -mm, no Taylor cusses a lot and I think that's surprising to people I think there are whole parts of me that are surprising to people. So when you, when I, back then, years ago, 2013, 14, whatever it was, did you think I was like a milder person than I really am? Yes. Okay. And that's not a judgment value either way. No. It's just you, you, I knew that like the kind of quintessential sweet side of the two that you were just naming that people perceive. Which is a true part of me. No. Yeah. That's why I said you weren't inauthentic now, then or now. I do think, um, yeah, I think that the last five years are, have been sort of radicalizing in a way, though. And I bet even within those radicalizing five years, if I talked to people who only ever knew you through sermons, yeah. would have that same perception of the sweet, too. Yeah. Because, um, right, again, because it is a true part yeah. of me. It's just not. So the I whole. think maybe my question then again was, and you answered it with the radicalizing in the last five years, is, is that eight stress or eight whatever mm-hmm. word you want to pick self um has it emerged or have i gotten further into a circle of a way you always exist probably a little bit of both of those things and I, I don't think it's actually like an well it's an integration of like all of the parts of me i also think that like i am probably well maybe not today in the midst of this global personal pan pizza but like I am overall a healthier person than I probably was when you met me in two th- when you met me 
in 2013. Hmm. So I'm, I think I'm a more integrated person. I have more four and more eight in my life all the time than I used to have. Okay. So, well, yeah. Fun, fun conversation about you. I feel much better about this. Sam yeah. Seaborn thanks for taking too. another swing at it with me. Yeah. Well, Taylor, we're about 50 minutes in and we have to do a commercial before we come back and talk about apologies today. Woo-hoo, apologies. Yeah. Well, Taylor, guess what? What? I'm so excited to tell you about a small business in Waco that I just love. I love small businesses. So we have a Dodge Grand Caravan from 2010 that has one of those remote key fiasks that everybody had. Is that right? Fiasks? What do you call those things? Key. 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 Kiosk? I don't know. Whatever they are. Everybody knows. Key fob. Key key fob, yeah. Key fob. And... um, Mine had gotten to uh, a uh, evolution of itself such that like the slightest brush or tap would set off the lock. And so I'll be Uh-oh. walking out of the grocery store towards my van. This happened to me, by the way. Okay. And um, it's going beep, 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 honking at everybody with every step I take. And this, the people are kind of embarrassed looking. And I, I just had to apologize to everybody. So I took my, <laughs> my key fob to Waco Lock and Key Ooh. on 3501 Bosque Avenue in, or Boulevard in Waco, Texas. Uh, number 254-214-3024. And do you know what they did? What? In five minutes, they fixed my key fob, put a new battery in it for like $6, and my life has been so much better since then. That's amazing. Here's another story. There was a guy in front of me that had run over his um, keys with his tractor. He's a farmer. Mm-hmm. And he took went to the dealership, and it was going to cost him like $270. Yeah. They gave him exactly what he needed for $70. Oh my god. He was so excited. He went back and got more keys to get fixed that he wanted. So that's, Yeah, that's a savings of two hundred dollars. Yeah. If I know uh, keys are kind of a, a minuscule thing that we don't pay much attention to in our lives, no, but they're but, important. Yeah, well Kathleen's battery went out in hers and so she couldn't she I mean she had to walk up and Yeah. Which is like what a, it's a normal thing, but still Well, not in two thousand twenty one it's not. Yeah, it, it is like You know how she could fix that? Uh, she could go to Waco Lock and Key. Waco Lock and for and six key. bucks, they put her back in business. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Again, that's Waco Lock and Key at 3501 Bosque Boulevard. Or you give them a call ahead of time to figure out if they can help you at 254 214 3024. Yeah. And we're back. We're Better back. than ever. Well, today's apologies. topic I wanted to talk about is apologies. Here's yeah. the reason Lindsay and I yeah. have about four fights we work on. Kind of throughout our life. Just like over and over. Yeah. yeah. We're just like, let's try it again. Nope, nothing's changed. We're it. still mad and we keep <laughs> swinging. Yeah. So one of them is, is what is the nature and the meaning of an apology? Okay. And um, I actually talked, alluded to this, that inverse relationship in the Sermon Sunday. But um, so I'll start here. This isn't the main point, but it's a derivative. Um, if I apologize to you very quickly, I probably am not that close to you. Do you ever feel concerned that you're going to say something and then people will remember it? Yes. <laughs> All the time. Um, but it's because the stakes feel low, so the apology doesn't feel right. like it costs me that much. Sure. And it doesn't mean it's insincere. It's just like, yeah. I mean, if you reject my apology and our relationship's over, okay. You know, it's like. Yeah, with people who you don't know. Right. So those are easy. Yeah. The hardest person in the world for me to apologize to is Lindsay. Uh-huh. Um, followed by like my kids and like so you can draw the concentric circles yeah well um, so we're talking about this and we were discussing a situation which we both agreed apology needed to happen from somebody we know to another somebody we know okay so it wasn't us but we still got very feisty about our discussion okay and I but you agreed that the person needed to apologize but I said to her and this is what started it um, I think person 
will apologize, but until they actually feel like they should, it doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Sure. You following? Yes, I'm following. And then she is like, no. Yeah. You don't need to wait for somebody to understand how they were hurtful before they need to apologize. Yes. Okay. And also, just as a prereq for everyone listening, Josh called me last week to propose this conversation. And I, he was like, I'm almost positive you're going to agree with Lindsay. And my sister Kathleen was in the room. And he was like, let me talk to Kathleen for a minute. And then essentially he was like, don't you agree with me? And Kathleen was like, yeah, I do. Because she is... An eight, an aggressive number. Yes, and I'm an aggressive number. Yeah. Yeah. And so you felt like... So you said to Lindsay... So the, essentially the disagreement was, you said, until you mean it, an apology is meaningless. Yeah. And she said no. If like, what, and what was her argument back? No, you can apologize right away for hurting somebody's feelings. So then I brought up an individual who I know um, is upset with both Lindsay and I, but whom okay. like we don't feel like we did anything wrong to. Sure. And I said, so if so-and-so came in here today, uh-huh. you would apologize to so-and-so? Uh-huh. Even though, and she's like, yeah, I can ap- I apologize to so-and-so and say, I'm sorry that, you know, not, not in a condescending way, but your, your feelings are hurt. Yeah. And I'm like, no, because I don't owe that person. I'm not going to apologize to somebody if I didn't do something wrong. And if we don't agree on whether or not I did something wrong, that's part of the problem. And I'm just going to um, enable them if I apologize to them for something that didn't happen. Okay. Um. I think, too, let me say this. Yeah. I live in a world where I also don't feel like people owe me apologies very often. Sure. Be- and part of that could be feeling repression. That would make sense. Yeah. But also, like, it, and it's that proximity to me thing. Like, if I'm going to apologize, I'm going to take seriously that I did the thing wrong. And I'm going to have to, and after the fact that I have some moral work to do on myself, and that occasion just doesn't arise in me a lot. And I don't think it should arise in a lot of people a lot. That's why I don't think they should be apologizing a lot. Okay, so you don't think there's anything to be said for like the idea that maybe you injured a person um, because they had a misunderstanding of your action or of your or of your word. Yeah, I mean, so we talked about this too. Colloquially, um, relationally, to kind of get out of the moment, I'll apologize as a kind of cultural norm. Yeah. It, like almost instinctually. Um, but like this is what I can say. I can't imagine they didn't actually get from me what I would want if I actually felt offended. That's how I think about it. What would you want? I would want the person who hurt me to understand why they hurt me and agree with the fact that they hurt me. And out of that place, then apologize. If they feel yeah. like it. But if they don't feel like it, I don't want their apology. And I checked with another eight this week who said the same thing. Like, if you can't get there, don't offer me an apology. Well, but I think there is something to be said for the idea that, like, I injured you. And I'm sorry for that. But that was not my intention. Like, I think you can still say, like, I didn't. I'm so sorry that that is how you, th- how, how my words or my actions made you feel. Mm-hmm. But it it was not my intention. My intention was this. Well, and I'm very big on intent. We know this from other conversations. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and like I said, I'll do that because I know that's the script. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't feel any remorse at all. I don't think you have to feel like bad or okay. down on yourself. So this is maybe helpful then. Maybe for me, this is a different kind of thing than an apology. Or maybe that is an apology and this other thing mm-hmm. I have in me is, is something I, else. Well, I guess it's like... Um, I think there are probably types of apologies. You know what I mean? I think there are apologies that you make because you messed up, you know? And I think that's what you're describing, like a thing where you know you made a mistake and that that mistake injured somebody. And because of that, you need to think about, like, how you're going to move forward and yada, yada, yada. I think that is an apology. But I do think also we can apologize to someone if even if they... Like, for the pain that they experienced, even if that is not a thing we meant to, like, um, we meant to do. Well, okay. So, this is more of a colloquialism that is, I think, an emotion or an emotional move. But when somebody we know loses somebody they love, we say, I'm sorry for your loss. Yes. There's nothing regrettable. We didn't do anything. Right. Right, yeah. So, that's why I don't think that, like... So apologies in my mind have contrition in them. Uh, they're capricious. They are. Um, they take something from us as they should. Yeah. Emotionally and otherwise. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving to that that person that's lost. I'm offering them my emotional alignment to say you matter to me, and um, I am going to muster all the empathy I can to give this to you as a gift. Yeah. But that's a different part of me than a I'm sorry because I did this wrong to you. Don't you feel that too? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, the conversation was good while it lasted. No. um, No, I think... uh, Well, maybe that's what I'm saying about the different quality of these apologies. Do you know what I mean? I think it's the same when I'm saying to someone like... um, I'm so, and it's like, so here's the thing, right? If we're talking like, a, this is a thing people get hit with a lot. Do you know what I mean? You find out someone was like a wide scale, a, like abusive person. And they're like, I'm so sorry that you felt like I was injuring you. Do you know what I mean? That's like gaslighting. And that's gross, right? Mm-hmm. But the different thing is like, it's, I think it's actually very much more similar to like when someone is experiencing grief or pain or, you know, when someone, like, what would you say? Someone's family member passed away? Sure, somebody close. And you say, like, I'm so sorry that you're experiencing this pain. It, this is, it's, I think it's the same quality of apology. Like, I'm so sorry that you were injured in that moment because, and maybe the thing you're apologizing for is, like, I guess I didn't make myself clear. Or maybe you misunderstood me. But I would never want to make you feel the, the way you felt. What I was trying to say is this, and I'm sorry that it got caught up in a misunderstanding but I don't it doesn't the people I love I want to feel I want them to feel like I am emotionally with them and how can we ever come back to understanding if they don't feel like I'm trying to be emotionally with them I think all of those are valuable what you just said Okay. I just wouldn't call any of that the emotional work of apology. 
Why not? Because for me, an apology only follows when you are willing to admit culpability in something you did with intent. Well. Maybe not even with intent. But, like, I'm thinking about um, accidents that are very costly. Mm -hmm. I can imagine being ripped up with grief if I accidentally did something that took somebody from their life. Sure. You know, or that's like not intent there. Cut a tree down and it fell on Noel's house. You would yeah. be like, yes. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, but that, like, then that apology would mean something because something would be happening in me emotionally where I was dwelling on the fact of what I did and I had conceived of how it made their life worse for it. And I, that felt very regrettable to me. So, in though that circumstance, issuing the words, I'm sorry, means something. Sure. But let's go back to the, the abuser you just said. Sure. They're like, I'm sorry, and you said that's gross. Well, when they say, yeah. Well, that's I my point is it's gross because they're not really sorry. Okay, hold on, hold on. No. It's gross because, well, sure. But it's gross because they're like, I'm sorry that you felt bad. And they're, it's like they're trying to distance themselves from a person and like essentially what they're trying to say is like I'm sorry that you overreacted to this situation and that is rude and mean and gross but if someone you care about is in pain and you can't say with authenticity I'm sorry that's the thing you're experiencing right now um that's <laughs> I back myself into a corner um uh like, I think we should be able to say that to the people we love. I'm sorry that you felt pain. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, like, I didn't, um, I was not at all trying to cause that. Like, I think you get to hold on to your sense of, like, I didn't do anything wrong because I wasn't trying to cause that for you but you can still say to them like I'm sorry that's what you're experiencing I feel like you agreed with me in roundabout terms no I was going to say something that was bad about you so I stopped talking <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and say it well I just like I, I think we should be able to say that to the people we love I think like I, I have <laughs> uh, you don't think we should be able to say that like I'm sorry you're experiencing pain yeah I can concede that, but what I would want then is a conversation about what really happened. That is, I mean, so this is the fight me and Kathleen get in all the time. Because if in that conversation I have a deepened sense that, yes, I really do should be sorry to you, mm -hmm. I want to know that. Yeah. So that I can give you what you really should have. Yeah. Um, well, no. Uh, yeah. But if I'm not, I want you to have the discovery that maybe, in fact, I don't owe you an apology. I, I think we can apologize for causing people pain, even if that, I, I think even that, if it's not our fault. I think that's this is in a, this is like we are getting to the place because, yeah, I well, because I think I, it doesn't take anything for me to say to someone. <laughs> it does take something for me right? to say to someone, I'm really sorry. That is not what I intended to give you to create in you. And then you can say this is what I was attempting to say. Does that make sense? So maybe this is it. Because essentially, I'm going to say, yes, you're right, and concede that I, I, 
said the same thing at the beginning of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I do this as a cultural norm all the time. Sure. Um, what I think that doesn't make sense to me as me, maybe as a three, maybe as an aggressive number, I don't know, maybe it's just me, sure. is that if they could enter into the emotional state of affairs with me when I'm issuing that, they would be disappointed. To know that you... How I felt about the apology I just gave them. Okay. If you said to me, if we got in a big argument, which has never really happened, we get in small arguments. Yeah. Um, and you said, and you really hurt me, and you said, I'm very sorry I injured you. This is what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. I don't need you. I don't need it to be some big kind of penance that you're like going to waste the next five days thinking about. I don't need that. I just need you to admit that I am in pain. I need to feel like you understand that I was injured. Even if you didn't mean to do that. In the words, I'm sorry, I accomplished that thing for you. Because I think there's way more, or there's way better, more rich things I could say to you to honor that. And what would they be? Give me an example. Um, Taylor, I think we perceive this differently. I know this about you and I know this about me. I can see how that was a miss. Yeah. I would like to reaffirm these things about you. Sure. And nowhere in there did I admit guilt. But I did honor you. Yeah. And I think that that. I think in the heat of the moment, in an argument, sometimes it's nice to hear someone say, I'm sorry. But I also think I would accept that. Just the work of trying to like. Yeah. I agree with that. A a semblance of the value of the other human being through the language and tone they choose to use. Yeah. I think in the moment, if I, if, if I, we were in a, somebody was in a fight and they said that to me. It would feel like the same as someone just saying, it's quicker to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I can see that. Well, and that's why I admit it. I use it so functionally that way. Yeah. I think the thing is, so where it really actually matters is Lindsay and I will get in a fight and it's pretty bad. Uh-huh. And then I don't want to apologize. Yeah. And the reason I don't want to apologize is because I don't feel sorry. Sure. I want time to get through all of my emotions first and make sure of what I'm feeling and thinking and that it's aligning within myself so I can really know what I'm apologizing for. And she doesn't understand that. You know, that's really hard also. I think some of that is the present orientation to time. Mm-hmm. Well, but for me, actually, me and Kathleen go back and forth. Sometimes I'm the person who needs time to, like, get out of it and, like, calm down or whatever. And sometimes it's her. And when it's her, it's really hard for me. This is a me thing that I work on. Because... I'm so caught up in the moment that it feels like, and I know this is not true, it feels like an abandonment almost. Like I'm trying so hard to work through it and she needs time, which is like a perfectly normal thing. And so I have to remind myself that that's like a thing people get. You know what I mean? And I have to remind myself that that thing that would really essentially cost me very little is a thing that could honor somebody Yeah. with a different stance than me. Yeah. I don't know why it's so hard when it rolls off my tongue, though. It's just it's it's weird to me that I feel so strongly about that. That's so interesting. I can see it being an aggressive number thing. And also, I do think you have to be careful not to be doing the thing that's like, okay, I'm sorry you misunderstood me or whatever, like because that's yeah. rude. And I can see how sometimes it might be like, well, I don't want to say that because it's meaningless. But it's like 
just because it's meaningless, just because it wouldn't be meaningful for you, doesn't mean that it's not meaningful for someone else. That's the thing I struggle with and have to work on as an act of love. Yeah, right, yeah. And we all have things like that. And we're all just like walking through the world, experiencing it so differently. And so that's, I think that's what makes it all hard in general, you know? I think too, I probably some of the attitude I have towards this is overflowing out of other conversations we had about cancel culture and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about an episode I did with my sister on a podcast about apologies. Mm-hmm. And we'd looked up like there are PR firms that advise on how to apologize and what good apologies are. Yeah. I think one of the things is culpability and then an ownership of that, um, which is probably why I have such a wooden, almost pharisaical view of what this has to be. But um, I lost the rest of my thought there. Well, and you don't like admitting or you don't like sort of saying I'm culpable when you don't actually feel culpable. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times culturally, I want to be very careful here, that people want apologies for things that I'm not always confident they should get apologies for. Well, and that's why I'm saying I think you can be specific with your language. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do think it's possible to say, like, I'm sorry we had a misunderstanding and that you were injured in that. But, like... Yeah, but it's a fine line, right, between, like, that, which I think was very well crafted. Sure. And a lot of it has to do with tone. Right. And, like, I'm sorry that you got your feelings hurt, even. Right? Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I do think... But even then, I think it's okay. I think... I mean, we all have to be honest, right? So I think to say, like, I'm sorry that we had a misunderstanding and that you experienced pain because of that, but I'm not sorry for the way that I behaved because I still stand behind that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's okay to say. Hey, this is totally off topic, but actually on topic. Okay. I was running this morning, uh-huh. and I was thinking about Matthew 18. Uh-huh. If somebody's offended you, go confront them, go get two, go get three. And I think the, the lack of that and what I perceive as public cancel culture is what doesn't work. Yada, yada, yada. Of course, that's for church. Culture isn't church. I had all these thoughts. Sure. Then I did think, though, cancel culture is in the Bible. It's yeah. 1 Corinthians 5 when Paul says to the Corinthian community, turn them over to the Satan that they may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. Uh-huh. But it's essentially ostracize them from the community uh-huh. so that they might be redeemed. Well, and that is ultimately the, that's where Matthew 18 gets, right? Because it's like there are steps, but ultimately right. it's like. Yeah, I think that that's right. Like you have to prioritize Matthew 18. If you're in a church community where you've consented to that sort of relationship and right. that makes sense. And then after that doesn't work, then I do think a version of cancel culture is in First Corinthians 5. But it's also for their redemption. And I'm not always convinced people want to cancel people public so that they'll eventually be redeemed i think they want them canceled so that they'll suffer maybe i think that a lot of times people have been injured and they want some they want the truth to be on the table but certainly not all the time well that was good yeah i honestly thought it would get a little more contentious than it did no you did a good job of backing down or like the word is moving with my emotion to de-escalate me. Yeah, maybe because I knew yeah. what was coming. I think I felt prepared. I've been thinking about it all week long. Yeah. So. 
Well, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Do you have anything else? Um, watch Ted Lasso. Watch Ted Lasso. That's that's my final word for today.